Hour number two, kicking off in the White Claw Hard Seltzer Studios. You've made it to the 8 a.m. hour. You deserve a drink. Drink some White Claw Hard Seltzer, the non-alcoholic version to jumpstart your day. Pick up some vodka for later this weekend. Enjoy you some vodka, some White Claw. I prefer the Black Cherry. It mixes great with the, the Sprite Zero. A little toast after Tennessee beats Kentucky on Saturday Responsibly, of course, we appreciate White Claw and Cherokee Distributing for their support locally. Let's hit some things we might have missed from the night before, Sam. Thank you, John. Uh, In the news of the NBA, star for the Philadelphia 76ers, Joel Embiid, missed his second straight game. uh, Missed their game against Portland yesterday with a knee injury. uh, A late scratch from their Saturday game. Uh, in Denver with Nikola Jokic. He hasn't played in Denver since 2019, I believe. What a coward. And now only a... has five more games in the season to be able to miss uh, until he is ineligible for all postseason awards. There you go, normal person working your job. You want these athletes to be more like you? Joel Embiid is also almost out of PTO time. <laughs> he is almost out of PTO time, only halfway through the year, so... When you get to May or June, you're like, man, I only can get sick three more times this year. Just know that these millionaire athletes, they are just like you. I really like it. I, I like the you can only miss a certain amount of games to be eligible for awards. I think that's a great way to keep everyone in the game and stuff. Yeah, I don't know how much it's like, – I don't know if Embiid is actually hurt slash sick slash whatever they're saying. Like, I also think that – Joel Embiid won MVP last year, so like I, I don't know if he's going to be as desperate to win it this year. You know where you got Daryl Morey crying and Joel Embiid campaigning because he finally got his MVP, and and now he's saying, "Hey, I want to win in the postseason." So like, if you're the Sixers and you feel like you could maybe win in the postseason, maybe you're like, "Hey, if Embiid isn't eligible for All NBA or MVP, but we manage his load and we keep him." fresh for the playoffs and don't let him get embarrassed in Denver against Nikola Jokic. Although I don't know why Embiid wouldn't want to play that game. He has been really good against Jokic statistically whenever they play head-to-head. But maybe that's because it's always in Philadelphia, not Denver. I don't know. (laughs) But, yeah, like I don't know if the Sixers and Embiid will push for this, but it is interesting that you have the new rules where you have to play, you said 65 games? Mm -hmm. To be eligible for postseason awards, it's going to be tested with the MVP favorite. Like He's the favorite right now. Yeah, yeah. So maybe if you're interested in gambling at all, maybe start looking at some of those guys a little bit below him. Edge because, out of that a little bit, yeah. Yeah, you might you might find some some good opportunity there because the actual odds on favorite might not be eligible. The uh, the Sixers training staff said they watched him go through the warmups in Denver, and then one source said that quote he could barely jump. Interesting. Which I guess I should correct myself. He is not the favorite. Maybe for that reason. Nikola Jokic is basically even money at this point to okay. win MVP. I, don't, okay. I feel like that's changed recently. Yeah, I feel like it has too. Maybe they're factoring in the... <laughs> Bob, any thoughts on the 65-game threshold for the NBA when it comes to awards? I think it's good. I think actually I would argue it might be a little, little low, honestly, um, by my measure. But if okay. somebody gets a legitimate injury... I think I I just I'm not a fan like this whole load management thing that's happening. These guys get paid a ton of money, and um, I, I don't know. I I, I mean I, I support the fact that they have put something in place. I just think I could see that. What if it was seventy games or something like that? Yeah, I don't know exactly how they came up with the number. I got no problem with sixty five. I mean, seventeen games means you're going to have to play. I would imagine that's going to be close to you know eighty percent of the of the season, 75% of the season. It's worked with some guys. Like, it's worked with LeBron James, who cares about legacy and cares about how many all-star games he makes and how many all-NBA teams he makes because, you know, over the last two years, he played 55 games and 56 games. And so far, we're in January, and he's played 43 games. So he is, like, well on pace to blow past, you know, the games played the last, I mean, you look and. 2021 played 45, although I think he was dealing with an injury. He was, yeah. Those years, but we'll see if he's able to hold up and make it to the end. But, yeah, he's played 43 games. He's played back-to-back games. And wasn't there – he doesn't do it now because that team's very different, but it was a couple years ago, wasn't – Popovich was kind of managing the – 
the load management of players too, wasn't he? Well, he started all this. Greg yeah. Popovich started all this. You, you could blame him or give him credit for a lot of the things in the NBA that people don't like in terms of load management and the spamming of three-pointers because – you know, he stuck Bruce Bowen in that corner and was like, hey, just keep shooting threes, keep shooting threes, and, like, space it out and shoot threes. And, you know, the Suns, of course, took that to a different level that really revolutionized the game. But I thought Popovich kind of kind of got that ball rolling in that era. And then, yeah, like, the way he would sit Tim Duncan and almost, like, make fun of the NBA the way he would do it and only do it, like, in national te- televised games, he kind of started that as kind of a protest of, of having to play all these televised games and – be on back to backs and play two nights and three two games and three nights and all these things. So he's got a young team now. So like the only person you really see him do it with now is Wimbenyana, which is really the only player on the Spurs that people want to see. So if you're waiting for the big circus freak to come to town, <laughs> yeah, you better make sure they're not playing a back to back. Next up, Sam. Yeah, some big news uh, relating to the Super Bowl. Chiefs uh, edge rusher Charles Almanyehu tore his ACL uh, in the AFC Championship game against Baltimore. Obviously had that uh, strip sack uh, you know, before he left in the first half of that game. They said in the game he was trying to come back, uh, you know, was, was trying to, to plan off of that leg and, and keep going. But Tess come back, tore his ACL. Uh, was was really enjoying a career year. Had uh, seven sacks in just eleven games for the Chiefs. Had kind of been a, you know, kind of a injected some life into that D line for the Chiefs this year and made that defense really uh, a formidable opponent. So this is going to be a big loss for the Chiefs in terms of the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'm not going to act like I study defensive line play, especially with the Chiefs. I don't know how much is legitimate with this guy in terms of being a wrecking force or how much it is like, hey, I'm getting single team because Chris Jones is eating up all these blocks and like, you know, maybe Chris Jones who is really special. And like Chris Jones is a, you know, a guy worth the holdout worth all the money and is quite frankly, one of the best defensive players in the league and one of the clutchest defensive players in the league. I mean, he's, he's the guy that kept Josh Allen from beating them by getting pressure on him late in that game. There's a part of me that thinks no matter who you line him up with, that guy's going to be able to get, sacks and get pressure just because that's how good Chris Jones is. But maybe this guy actually is a, a stud, and maybe this will be a big loss for Kansas City. The gambling line is kind of settled, and it's, it, it reached its valley at 49ers minus one and a half, and it seems like some money is going to start coming back in on the 49ers at that number. So it doesn't look like, at least anytime soon, that Kansas City will become favored in that game. It does seem like San Francisco is going to go in as a one-point favorite or so. They've got them just where they want them. Yeah, the Chiefs. I'm Patrick Mahomes you. plus money, baby. Yeah, Derek Nadi is also one of their starting defensive tackles, and he was placed on injured reserve uh, before the playoffs. So they'll have a couple D linemen that that are kind of thin in that area. They'll be starting a couple rookies. Okay. Um, as for uh, some wrestling, John, Pat yes. McAfee. Pat McAfee returns to the WWE on a full time basis as Raw's lead color commentator. Yeah, that was a surprise yesterday. He came out at the very beginning. They play his theme music, and he's like, yeah, I'm back. We're going to do this for a while. He didn't really say how long. It does seem like he's kind of gotten to the point where he doesn't know how long he wants to be somewhere. It seems like he's kind of antsy. I got to say, though, like at the beginning, he was doing a little woe is me thing about how no one likes him anymore. And I was like, okay, you're still really popular. You're you're really taking offense. You're really taking the Aaron Rodgers, Jimmy Kimmel backlash to heart, McAfee. Like, yeah. you, you can't expect that to get any blowback for allowing Aaron Rodgers to come on there and, and throw those accusations out. Of course, uh, certain people in the country aren't going to like that. No one's canceled you, Pat McAfee, from your most popular show. And now that you're getting you know paid to do commentary to two million people a week no no one's canceled you yeah i i i've watched this too and part of him part of his not given a damn in the past has been what's been what's so charming about him and now he's he's gotten a thin skin in the last four to six weeks and it's actually it started before that because if you recall he started talking a little bit of trash about he didn't i don't think he liked hearing some reviews about his work on college game day and he was doing the whole eh, maybe I'm not coming back you know he started that too so he's uh he's starting to care about what other people think too much which I think can be trouble sometimes well 
that made me wonder, like, if if it was that he didn't care what people thought beforehand, or if it's just like he never had any criticism, like because yeah, the moment that because he started at Barstool, right? They were doing the Barstool was it Heartland or whatever, and like he was yes. kind of the face of that. But like then Dave got caught up in something with the sponsor, and and the first sign of backlash. That's whenever he's like, oh, I'm going independent. I'm starting my own thing. I'm I'm bigger than Barstool. I can go do this. So, like, the moment that there was any pushback there, he left. Because that I do think he kind of cared about his image and what people thought. Right. And he got praised for that. And then, of course, has built the juggernaut. And pretty much along every step has been praise, praise, praise. So, I did wonder, like, has he always been maybe a little thin-skinned and care what people say? But so far, it's just been all positive and all compliments. Yeah. I'd love to know what what his deal is with uh, WWE. What he's going to get paid for that? I mean, I would say, I would say, I mean, it's obviously going to be in the the million dollar range. Uh, you know, to to do every Monday. I would imagine he's not doing it for anything less than that. Although, you know, he's talked about that being like his favorite thing and you know his dream growing up. And you know, he got in there and had a match and they had a whole vignette of him as like a kid, like you know, doing moves in the backyard and everything. So maybe. Maybe it's a bit of a passion project, but I still can't think it'd be anything less than seven figures. What? Okay, so for those of us not as uh, familiar with Raw, what? So does it? Is it always at the same location each week? Or no, it, no, it, it rotates. It, it rotates. It's in a different city every week. So, so like, it's kind of like Friday Night SmackDown correct. that I'd. It's seen. the exact thing. Yes. Okay. Raw, Raw is the staple. It's the you know the one that's been on air for thirty two years at this point, but. You know, last night they were in Florida, close to where the Royal Rumble was. I think it might have actually been in Tampa, like where, where the Royal Rumble was, just in a different arena. And yeah, then next week it'll be somewhere. They'll work their way back up the coast, like towards the next show or wherever they're going to be. So they, yeah. So this will impact his, in, in some form or fashion, it's going to impact his show on ESPN because he'll, particularly during football season, he'll be doing game day, and then he's going to. Got, he's going to have to be on location for Monday nights, um, and I guess he's done the show remotely before. It's it's just I'm I'm I am blown away by dude's got a work ethic for sure. I mean he is he takes it all on, um, and that's a lot. Yeah, like you know, it's now now that football's in the off season, he obviously has more time away from game day because. Correct. Game day and him starting there a year and a half ago is what ended his time at SmackDown. He's like, basically, I got to step away because I'm doing this on ESPN on Saturday. So I'm guessing this will just be like a six month run. You yeah. Know, maybe like he takes the summer off and, you know, kind of recharges batteries from everything. I, I don't know. And his his daily show is so heavily slanted to the NFL and it's off season there. I mean, they'll still talk ball, but yeah. it won't be as intense as the regular season and playoffs of. The NFL, so yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I enjoy him when uh, when I would well, listen to him on SmackDown and stuff. He's 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 good at it for sure. Yeah, next Monday they'll be in St. Louis, Missouri. So I guess you know he'll just go back to wherever he is. And is, does he live in Indianapolis? Is that he where does, he yeah. broadcasts from? And then yeah, hop on a little short flight to St. Louis on Monday after the show and and get there. And yeah, private air cures a lot of ills, man. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's it makes it a lot easier. So. Um, Anything else, Sam? Uh, some record viewership in the NFC Championship game. Uh, drew 56.6 million viewers, uh, the most on Fox for a championship game since 2012. Ranked as the uh, the fourth most non-Super Bowl uh, watch telecast in, in network history. So it outrated the AFC game. Mm -hmm. Yes. Up 20% from last year's NFC Championship. Do you know what the numbers were, Bob, on the AFC game? No, but it, surely if it, if they were, you know, to the level that they're talking about, there would have been a press release out already. And there, and it, it kind of surprised me because there was, uh, we've talked about it, there's always such a buildup now with the Chiefs due to the Taylor Swift effect. Taylor Swift, and you also just have, I mean, two of your biggest stars in the NFL, and, and right. Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson. I mean, the quarterback matchup, is kind of what we were always told mattered, right? Like Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. If Tom Brady's playing, it's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be one of the most watched games. And you had this generation's Tom Brady, a guy that's on a better career trajectory, you know, through the as many years as he's been playing or whatever. Going up against your MVP, with Taylor Swift in the stands, with Travis Kelsey. But instead, it was the storyline of the Lions trying to make history of the franchise that 
has been the worst in the NFL in the last 50 years, having a chance to go to the Super Bowl, and that mattered more to people. You know, time of day has something to do with it as well. You know, that's that's the other thing. If you think about the week before the Chiefs-Buffalo game got enormous numbers, it was a primetime game. And Even on Sunday? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you told me it was on Saturday or during the week, of course, I know that, you know, the time time slot matters a lot. But on Sunday, it's a little surprising. Yeah. Because, I mean, it'd be what? It was a 3.30 kickoff, which means, of course, in, in the, on the West Coast, you're looking at 12.30 or 12 o'clock, I guess. It was yeah. a 3 o'clock kick. Yeah, well, it's at 3 o'clock. Um, yeah. That still I, matters? I think it does, yeah. Okay. Um, I guess that makes sense. Maybe CBS can blame Tony Romo if the numbers are there we go. <laughs> low. All right, Sam, good batch. Good job by you. We'll come back. We'll talk Tennessee as they get set to take on South Carolina tonight at Thompson Boeing Arena at Food City Center. Stick with us. It's the morning show on Fan Run Radio. From the Fox Sports Studios in Los Angeles, here's Eddie Garcia. Checking NBA games of note, the Nuggets knock off the Bucks 113-107, spoiling the Milwaukee head coaching debut of Doc Rivers. Denver's Nikola Jokic had a triple-double in the win, 25 points, 16 rebounds, 12 assists. Celtics over the Pelicans, 118-112. Boston now a league-best 36-11 on the season. Timberwolves get a big win in Oklahoma City over the Thunder, 107-101. Minnesota leads the Western Conference with a 33-14 record. They're a half game up on Denver, one game up on Oklahoma City. Clippers lose to the Cavaliers, 118 to 108. Suns over the Heat in Miami 118 to 105. 76ers lose to the Trailblazers 130 to 104. Lakers fall to the Rockets 135-119. And the Mavericks beat the Magic 131-129 behind Luka Doncic's 45 points. College basketball number 4 Houston in overtime wins at Texas 76-72. 7th ranked Duke defeats Virginia Tech 77-67. Attention service members and veterans. Introducing the Griffin Law Firm your trusted ally in military Charleston girl in a darkened room and you don't know like Do you guys ever think you know, at least in this first month of the show do you guys ever just take a moment and reflect and think that you might be sitting across from the best sports mind in Knoxville Oh my God! It's nice you guys to say. <laughs> oh, you don't mean me. You saw the point spread came out yesterday. The line I told you guys thirteen and a half, thirteen, thirteen and a half is what I said. <laughs> what did it come out at, Sam? What did it open up as? Eleven and a half. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's what you said. Opened up at thirteen and a half, and it's actually gone up since then. It's up to fourteen and a half, I believe now. So people really buying Tennessee and buying Tennessee at home, you know, with the, the success that Rick Barnes has had inside the Thompson Bowling Arena at Food City Center. Tennessee doesn't really lose there. They don't. But I'm going to say, we talked about it in the break, if you take the heart out of it and just as a better, I think South Carolina, that, that plus 14 and a half is interesting. It doesn't mean I, Tennessee's going to win this game. I have no concern about that. But I just think the way they play from everything we're hearing, you know, they again, they slow it down. Tennessee did a great job against Vanderbilt of countering that after the first half because Vandy did the same thing but tried to take the air out of the ball a little bit. But I think South Carolina is much much better team than Vanderbilt. Yeah, we'll see if South Carolina can take the air out of the ball and slow Tennessee down. The metrics do think it's more of an 11-point game, 12-point game, so like the 14.5 is a little bit inflated. Like I said, public perception of Tennessee, especially at home, this run Dalton Connect is on is, is inflating that a bit. I think you're right. But also the last time Tennessee played in Knoxville, they beat Alabama by 20 points. And the time before that, they beat Florida by 19 points. So both teams better than South Carolina. Or I'll take that back. Alabama's better than South Carolina. South Carolina's probably better than Florida. Maybe a little. Maybe they're comparable, but I would say I'd give South Carolina the edge there. But they're close enough. But the last two times you saw Tennessee play in Knoxville, they dominated. The last time you saw Tennessee play on Saturday night, they dominated the second half. They, you know, they beat that Vanderbilt team by what, like 18 in the second half? Yes. 
So, like, this team is good, and this team has been good at burying people. They aren't winning close in, you know, whenever they do win. You go back to the old Miss game, of course, same thing happened there. So, Tennessee has been really good at home, and I think people know that. And sometimes that means more than what the numbers say should happen. So, I don't know if I agree with you in terms of thinking South Carolina covers. I'm not taking Tennessee to cover. I'm not betting on this game. Yeah. I'm not advocating for taking the Vols. But I would be nervous, you know, at any moment that the floodgates open and Tennessee runs South Carolina out the building as well. That could happen. It's Is it just me or it feels like when I look at South Carolina's projected starting five, Michi Johnson 6'2", Talon Cooper 6'4", B.J. Max are big at 6'8", and then 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, in the front. It just feels like Tennessee. a lot of the teams in the SEC are kind of built that way right now is what I'm seeing. Now, Georgia had a big guy. Mississippi State had Tolu Smith. But I guess maybe I'm thinking some of the recent games we've played, they're, they're just more guard-centric. That's what I'm seeing across the league right now. Well, I mean, I, Tennessee, could, you could say the same thing about them. Had Jonas Adu not you know developed and became True. this force, like – if all of a sudden you're saying like he's not locked down the starting spot or not getting you know 30 minutes a game, you'd be like, oh, Zakai Ziegler, 5'10", Santiago <laughs> Vescovi, 6'3". And you start looking around and Josiah James is your four at 6'5", or 6'6", whatever he is. And and then you'd be looking completely different. So like if you remove Jonas from that, Tennessee wouldn't be in much better shape. True. Um, yeah. I think Owaka stands at what, like 6'8"? Six, 6'8". Eight? Six, eight. Yeah. Yeah. That could be what Tennessee looks like next season, right, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Adu is ready to like leave early. I hope not. Yeah, I mean, I, I, would, I would be shocked if that was the case. I would imagine he will be one of Tennessee's biggest priorities in terms of locking down him and making him happy nil wise, and making it make sense for him to come to you know come to play, come back to play. He doesn't seem like a top you know level NBA prospect, but I do think the way he has played recently. Gives me hope that he could be an NBA type of player. I mean, Kyle Alexander's making some money in the G League. I mean, he's got a shot, and I think Jonas has shown more this year than than Alexander ever really did in college in terms of having an offensive game. I agree with that. While also being a pretty solid rim defender. Quick digression when we talk about NIL money, and I heard this through one of my back channels. Maybe you guys have heard the same or something that uh, is contradictory to it. Who do you think is has got the biggest NIL deal on the basketball team? I would imagine it's Zakai. But, I mean, I guess at this point, you know, Connect, I have seen him on a couple commercials. But Zakai would have been my guess just because of of the the standing with the team and kind of being the fan favorite. Do you have different information? Yeah, and I'm hearing just NIL money because this this person I don't see doing anything. And it's, I've heard it's Freddie. Really? Huh. Yeah. So I guess that might be more of an inducement that uh, Tennessee was able to promise him some money to come to Tennessee last year halfway through the season. Interesting. Yeah, yeah and I and it's a pretty good source and a, a good source. And I, I would say that uh, that's going to be interesting because again, someone who's got had that much interest in him from a team to come join them. Time to get the scissors out. Yeah. Trim some fat. Let's, let's reallocate some of that money to some transfers next year. I just wonder. Yeah, and I just wonder if Freddie's looking at it from a playing time standpoint, too. And it's like, man, I don't know if this is for me. This is uh, – it's going to be interesting. I mean, I don't know. It depends on how good the check is. It depends how, you know, good the contract is. Or, you know, like if it's a four-year agreement for that money or, or what. Because, you know, if you're telling me he's got the most NIL money on the team, and if that is the case – I would imagine that gets you into six figures, right? I mean, I'd imagine it's $200,000 or so. I mean, maybe $150,000. I don't don't know. But, like, if I'm him, yeah, the playing time would be nice, but it's not like I'm going to get more money to go elsewhere. So I'll I'll take my chances developing, and I'm still young. And I think that matters for Freddie, too, right? Like, I mean, he was an early enrollee. So, I mean, he's technically should be in his freshman year. And it, and it makes some sense, you know. At first blush, you would think, "Oh, Connect's got to be up there," but he's—we know he's only going to be here for a year, and he, of course, he got some money. Um, but it's like, the, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, that, that's why I said Zakai because Connect. I mean, you, you were competing against teams for him. Now I don't remember exactly who was in the transfer portal competing with you. 
Was Kentucky on that list? Was Kentucky trying to get connect? Indiana thought they were going to get Indiana, him. that's right. That's right. Do- yeah, yeah, that's right. I don't know if Kentucky's on that list or not, but yeah, Indiana was on that list. Yeah. Um, and Tennessee, reportedly, from what I'd heard and people around the program and, and people that talked to people around the program, Tennessee did outbid Indiana for Dalton Connect. Like, it, it feels good to hear Dalton talk about, like, hey, I love Vaughn Nation. Uh, I, my hero's Kevin Durant. So it's nice to think, like, hey, that was the reason he came to Tennessee. But I was also told, like, Tennessee was the highest bidder when it came to him versus us versus Indiana. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it was a, a huge offer because, like Bob said, it's one year. It's a guy from northern Colorado. Yeah, you might have thought, like, hey, he could come here and be a contributor, but I don't think anybody at Tennessee thought he was going to come here and be this, right? Like, no one thought he was going to come here and be the SEC player of the year or a guy that's on a historic scoring pace, not only just for your school, but for the SEC in general. I think if you ask Rick Barnes what he thought, it's like, hey, this is a guy that's going to stretch the floor, and if we get 12 or 13 points a game out of him, that's a big win. If he gives us another a ball handler with size, that's a win. A starter, yeah, but a guy that's going to play 25 minutes and, and do these things. I would imagine that's what they thought whenever they were recruiting him from Northern Colorado because, let's face it, he averaged what there? Like his stats at Northern Colorado weren't like anything special. I mean, he was a he was a, a scorer. I think he he led the Big Sky. I thought I remember hearing that in scoring, but it was yeah. it was like twenty a game. Yeah, I mean, it was twenty it was, a game. Well, but it was also like he was like second team. Yeah. all conference. Right. It was twenty points a game, and it was against that level of competition. And he's come to Tennessee and been better than that. Right. Absolutely. I, I think like you, I think everyone would be conditioned to say. Hey, st- stepping up a level, you know, and 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 competition is going to bring your points down to, like I said, probably that twelve to thirteen point range. Not stay consistent or actually get better. I'm looking through like his game log last year at Northern Colorado. He has four games so far, Sam, with thirty points at Tennessee. How many do you think he had last year at Northern Colorado? Three. Two. I believe the answer is three. Let me see here. Maybe it's two. Hold on. 31, 31, 32, and 34. Yes, yeah, so a three. Good job by you, Sam. Thanks. Now, he did have Bob a 29-point game. Two of those. Yeah. Not 30. Did he have a 40-point game ever at college? He didn't have a 40-point game. No, okay. his, his career high, or at least his high last year. I'm not going to go back to the year before, but his high was 34. That was one of my favorite questions that uh, I think Jonas Adu asked him that, yeah. like in that post game. He was like, you know, you've been around like <laughs> 40 great. points a game. Are you ever going to get there? <laughs> Next question, he said. <laughs> like I said, that, that man, that is so awesome just because that, you know what I mean? It's like if any players were begrudging him, they wouldn't be there. Right. You know, they would, they'd be back in the locker room or doing, you know, they're all there giving him grief. I loved it. It was, it was fantastic. I'll also say it's probably pretty easy for Jonas to do that, too, because Jonas has taken a huge step up right. as the second best player. And I think connect and connect spacing and connects ball handling and playmaking and, and, and you know, the, the way he sucks up a defense pause. It has opened things up for Jonas to be better himself. So it's nice for Jonas to be doing that, but it also makes a lot of sense. They appear to be particularly tight, too. If yeah. I watch them when I'm at the game in the arena, and they do a lot of you know chest bumping and you know bro hugging and everything, and it's those two specifically a lot. The stuff with Mayshack yesterday and Coach Clark and his him talking about Dalton and Mayshack's relationship, I thought was really cool. Did you see any of that? Saw a little of it, yeah. I was, I was, I watched some of that. I was paying attention to what Clark had to say about South Carolina, but yes, I saw that. It was good. Yeah, he was talking about, you know, on his recruiting visit, they just laced him up and played some one on one, and and how they do that still constantly now after practice, and how you know, it is a asset to have Mayshack at Tennessee. Obviously, whenever you're trying to shut down Brandon Miller, you're trying to shut down Sears, or or you know maybe. Sam's boy Reeves this weekend, but it's also nice in practice, you know, connect to be practicing every day against one of, if not the best perimeter defender in the country. Like if you could score on Meshack consistently, you're probably going to be able to score against anybody in the SEC. And I thought that was cool that they still get after it and, you know, make each other better. 
And then it was cool to see Meshach's, I believe, mom weigh in and be yeah. like, yeah, he called me after the after Dalton's visit. I was like, yeah, we're going to get him. This guy's a beast. He just cares about ball, and all he wants to do is hoop, and he's just like us, and he's going to come here. And, of course, that's what happened. And She's, hoop he has done. Meshach's mom's turned out to be a cool follow on social yeah, she's media. she's a really good follow on Twitter. Yeah, great stuff. I, I talked about it earlier in the year, but Meshach's family's online. If you talk about <laughs> Meshach, they will find it and give you a like. So yeah. I only have good things to say about him because he is a player that you really only have good things to say about. Like yeah. he is, he is what you want as a fan of a, of your team. Like he's the type of player, the the gritty glue guy that's going to be a bulldog on the perimeter playing defense. Not going to really complain about shots and touches. Just going to go out there and play as hard as he can. And every point he gets almost feels like house money. Like, like if you, if you swapped out his offensive numbers with Josiah Jordan-James, we'd be like, that's okay. That's all right. We don't really need you to score any points. We don't really need you to shoot. Just go out there and play the defense. Instead, he's been you know more of a consistent scorer than Josiah Jordan-James. And, and, and James, of course, has been the one that's drawn our ire. But, yeah, I thought that was really cool with Meshack and Connect. And, and then, like you talked about after the game, Jonas and Connect. And it does seem like the team, you know, kind of realizes who the, who the go-to guy on the team is now. Yeah, and back to Meshack for a quick second. He's as good a representative of that program as yeah. you're going to find. The RTI guys say that, that, that he's just such a, such a joy to hear from, interview, just carries himself with so much class. And, um, and also, if, also if you're Rick Barnes, that's a guy that's going to be here four years. That's yeah, going to represent it and represent like the college athlete well as as well. Definitely, we Definitely. might need to ask Coach Polinski what the the all time record is on the Connect that and Meshack one on one records. Yeah, jot that down, <laughs> Sam. You uh, you can ask that okay. on Thursday. But also need to give a shout out to Santi because Santi also in his media availability is like, look at this point in my career, talking like an old man as a yeah, yeah. college player but like at this point in my career man all i want to do is win he's like i don't care about stats blah 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 and i do think there's probably a lot of truth to that with santi and you hope there's a lot of truth to that with josiah as well like both those guys have had their moments of scoring and being you know lead dogs and doing all these things and getting accolades but they came back to school to try to win and do something special and like i think everyone in that locker room probably has to realize that they are trending towards something special. I agree. I, I That's one thing uh, I keep trying to uh, believe in with Jonas, and I do see it in Santee. You know, when you watch Jonas carry himself on the court, um, he, he he's still engaged. He just recoils when he gets the ball right now. That That's the part that's tough. And You're talking about Josiah, not Jonas. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah, Josiah. Like, when Jonas gets the ball, Jonas is ready to eat these days. Like, yeah, he has, I always He had a drive up. from the perimeter to a dunk you know, against Vanderbilt. I was like, when did he learn how to do that? Yeah. No, I'm sorry, I meant Triple J. So I just think that uh, those guys, I, I, I believe it. They they, they came back to, to win. That's really it, first and foremost with them. So And, yeah, and you mentioned that about Santee's. He is the uh, the old guard in terms of I think they just announced he what he's all time career leader in starts yep. for the basketball program. Mm-hmm. Okay, passing Lofton, passing Houston. Um, so he's he's uh, he's the OG on that team at this point. Um, so I, I agree with you, John. It, it's just we're watching something really great here, and that's why. This week too, as we go into the week today, we're you know we're talking a little bit about a lot of things. But as we get towards Thursday, Friday, we're gonna we're gonna drill down on this basketball team because that Kentucky game is enormous on Saturday. I assume I know the answer, but will you be inside of Thompson Bowling Arena at Food City Center tonight? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, gonna be there. Another sellout, I believe they said the seventh sellout of the season so far. So it's pretty good when you're selling out your midweek games. Obviously, it's nice that God, that's Vol Nation, as Dalton Connect called them, is out there supporting the boys, even in the midweek, and you know rewarding them for being as good as they are. That's fantastic, but with it being a six thirty start, that means you know what I mean. If you're gonna, traffic, yeah, traffic. and if you're going to go and you know grab a bite, maybe get an adult beverage before the game, it means you're starting at about four thirty probably. Cool. cool beans will be open and popping at four thirty, Bob. Just roll yeah. in there, grab you some uh, cheese beans and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a little sandwich and some $3 Jim Beams, and you'll be good to go, ready to go for the South Carolina game tonight. You you might have to walk up that hill. It's a little bit of a trek, but it's fun. <laughs> the cheese, it's fun. Cheese beans sound good right now. Yeah. Uh, cool beans will be open. 
We'll continue talking Tennessee basketball after the break. This is the morning show on Fan Run Radio. Since we're talking NIL, that Freddie DeLeon thing is still a little surprising. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Surprising, it's not as if it if if again. I think it's a good source where I heard it. It it's not that well known though. Um, it's not surprising. It's not surprising. Yeah. You can support Tennessee and Tennessee athletes and the NIL collective by going to. The Volunteer Club and buying the everything polo from our friends at Inward Half. Again, I challenge you to try some Inward Half apparel and tell me you don't like it because you won't be able to. They have elevated and transformed performance-driven apparel. I saw a guy wearing one uh, on Sunday when I went to go get some Chipotle, or maybe it was Saturday before the game. The guy was rocking an Inward Half hoodie. I said, "Hey." Inward half, he said, yeah, it's great. I said, you're right. I love it, too. You can check them out today at inwardhalf.com and look for them in your favorite pro shop. I saw where they were at the, the PGA. The PGA, uh, I don't know if it was like a exactly what. Sam, do you know what that was last week? The PGA, there was like a big event. I saw the inward half was there and doing things. and hmm, I didn't. I know Dobbs was there and they were doing things. I don't know if it was just like a fashion thing. or Is inward was, half like a PGA sponsor now? or I don't know. If they're, I don't think they're a sponsor, but I think like it's just with those. I don't know. What are they called? The trade, not trade shows, but just basically. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like those type of. I know exactly what you're talking about. Go there and I guess you get. I think there was a big golf one like last week. There was convention kind of where yeah convention. Yes, yes, yes. That's the word I was looking for. I know they were down there doing that. Yep. So inwardhalf.com. We appreciate them for their support. Bob, when we first started the show, we kind of looked at the schedule. We looked at Tennessee and this run they needed to go on. Even after the loss to to Mississippi State, we said, "Hey, the goal is to get through January with only one loss." In conference. After North Carolina, he's like, hey, you got a chance to really make a run here. You, at the time, we thought we might be on like a 16-game winning streak or whatever it would be whenever you played Kentucky, 13 or 14 games. Of course, you you lost one to Mississippi State. And then I remember coming in here and say, yeah, but now you need to go on a run and win the next five games, get through January with only one loss. On uh, Tonight, they have a chance to do that by beating South Carolina, which would set up a pretty big Kentucky game on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, right now they're pacing. What they're five and one. They're pacing for that fifteen and three that we all balked at at first. Yeah, that's exactly um, the, the pace they're on. You're right. And um, yeah, so I, I think we're situated well uh, in that regard. Tonight's they're they're all important at this point. Goes without saying, but you know, so they win tonight. They're six and one. Um, the Kentucky game. I, I can't wait to see what that spread will be and I guess there's some things that still need to happen uh Kentucky plays tomorrow night and I'm trying to remember who they play how about that Tennessee finally getting the advantage that that is something that you should highlight when you're talking about just how Tennessee has passed Kentucky in terms of SEC programs yeah and you might push back on that but it's true in the past Kentucky was always the school that got that extra day advantage. They would play on Big Tuesday or Super Tuesday or whatever the hell they call it now, and Tennessee was playing Wednesday night conference games. And almost every time you were playing, you were coming in at a rest disadvantage. Kentucky was always at an advantage there. Not anymore, as Tennessee gets the Tuesday night slot, and Kentucky has to play on Wednesday. Maybe not a big deal, but it is something worth noting. No, it's it's definitely worth noting. And and what I was going to say is, while you were talking, I was looking at you know Kentucky has Florida in Rupp tomorrow night. It should win, but I mean that's not a again, not necessarily a gimme even even on your home court. Um, so I, I think it is a good commentary on where Tennessee stands in the pecking order of the SEC these days. Um, yeah, so I mean I. I was as skeptical as anyone when we were talking with Will Warren, and he said it's got to be 15 and three to get the outright SEC conference title. 14 and four, you may get a tie. Um, I don't know. I feel pretty good about it now. I didn't two weeks ago, but um, 
if they, I'll feel really good about it if they can get through this this entire week. Again, tonight should be a win, and then Saturday against Kentucky because then they they come back next Wednesday against LSU, and then they go on the road to Texas A and M on the tenth, and that's uh, you know that's a tough place to play. We know that you're talking about pacing. You're talking about fifteen and three. A quick game of agree or disagree. I would say that the first six games of the conference schedule, the first third, is the easiest section of the conference schedule, though. Would you agree with that or disagree? I would agree. I would agree. The Uh, first six, of course, was Ole Miss at home, at Mississippi State, at Georgia, Florida, Bama, and then at Vandy. Your next six, South Carolina, at Kentucky, LSU, at A&M, at Arkansas, Vandy. Those are your next six. Your next six are tougher than your first six. Do you agree with that? I agree. Sam, do you agree or disagree with that? Uh, I do agree with that, yeah. yeah. And then your last six, just to finish the exercise, uh, you, you play Missouri. at Missouri, yeah. A&M, Auburn, at Bama, at South Carolina, and home against Kentucky. That's also tougher than your uh, your first stretch. Much tougher. Yeah. I, I think that's the toughest stretch, yeah. and we've touched on that a little bit. I think you were saying the last four originally, but – and Missouri looks down, but you know Texas A&M coming into Knoxville, they, they're Tennessee will have to be on their game for sure. I almost, I think I disagree with that. I think this next six is tougher. Really? Just I mean, just because you have the road games. I mean, like in your last six, your road games are Missouri, Bama, and at South Carolina. South Carolina is a, a, a team you've beaten nine of the last ten. And according to our friend Stats by Will, who can't join us today, he's going to join us tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow. He says Rick Barnes is 10-0 in their last 10 as favorites against South Carolina. So you don't really lose games you're supposed to against South Carolina. That's a program you've kind of owned. So when I look at the road games of Missouri, Bama, and at South Carolina, to me the ones coming up in this next six of Kentucky, A&M, and Arkansas, those are tougher. I would have agreed with you if we haven't seen the implosion in Fayetteville right now. That team's not very good. I agree. Yeah, but even then, like – that was a six-point game against Kentucky, though. Yeah, they lost, and like you know, maybe you know you you have another two weeks, and by the time Valentine's Day rolls around, you're looking at a Valentine's Day massacre in Fayetteville. Maybe that team has completely quit. And like there was reports yesterday, I saw, or rumors I saw from from people that report on coaching searches that said that Arkansas's AD is telling people close to him that Musselman's gone at the end of the year, that he is that looking. Was- not, not getting fired, but that he is going to take another job. Like his time in Arkansas is over. Like he is that that's the reason this season's gone so off the rails. That's the reason you had a guard quit. Everyone kind of knows that Musselman is going to take a different job, whether it's Louisville or UCLA, if if Cronin takes a Louisville job or just, you know, wherever that, you know, to, to look for Musselman to be out at Arkansas at the end of the year. They're definitely checked out. I mean, short of a last-second shot against Texas A&M, the, the, they've, they've lost six of seven, but without that last-second shot to beat A&M, they'd be on a seven-game losing streak right now. I mean, they're, they are clearly struggling, and it just doesn't – they don't feel like – I've always been a proponent of Musselman coach teams that, yeah, whatever happens at the beginning of the season, just you wait because they, if they get into the tournament, he'll make noise. Well, you know, they're 10-10 and 10 at this point. They're, there's no tournament on the horizon for them. The NIT maybe yeah. they can rally and stay uh, above five hundred. Yeah, yeah, they've got to run the table basically coming in. So I yeah, mean, maybe they still you're got right. some resume building wins, but nothing. Maybe you're right, Bob. Maybe the fact Arkansas stinks makes this next six not as tough as the final six. Your, your home games during the stretch are, you know, I don't want to say gimmies, but like you should beat Vandy, you should beat LSU at home, and quite frankly tonight you should easily win as fourteen and a half point favorites. Whereas in your final six, you're looking at A&M should win, Auburn going to be tough, Kentucky going to be tough. Correct. Okay. Fair enough. But, yeah, you're trending for the uh, the 15-3 and three that you're looking for. I think so. Jimmy Dykes had high praises yesterday as he kind of ran through the SEC. He got to the juggernaut matchup coming on Saturday. You know, talked about Tennessee, Kentucky, and – how big of a game that was. But maybe the more interesting thing, Bob, is that he said, hey, Dalton Connects, the best overall player in the country. Says he's probably not going to win the Wooden Award. Says Zach Eady's dominance is probably going to make it hard not to give it to him. But says for his money, he, think Dalton, he thinks Dalton Connect is the best overall player in college basketball. 
I love it. I love hearing that. Um, yeah, he, he stressed overall a couple of times. Uh, and it's kind of the conversation we were having yesterday uh, that you think about full toolkit of skills and what we're seeing with Connect is clearly special. And it's nice hearing it from someone outside of uh, the 865. Well, Jimmy's kind of an honorary Knoxvillian. He, he he gets a lot of Tennessee games, and he does love his ball. So, like, he he's not completely unbiased. I mean, this is going back even, like, six years. He always had Tennessee at the damn front of his plane, right, when he does his plane for the bracket and everything. <laughs> yes. he, he always has Tennessee as first class. He kept trying to get us in the tournament, I think, during the Conzo era, too. He's like, this team's good. Put them in the tournament. And Barnes, put them in the tournament whenever, you know, you're first getting started. But... You know, he, he loves his Vols, but I do think, you know, that that's the conversation nationally is that Connect is that guy. Yeah. I'm going to be interested to see who uh, who has the call on that Kentucky game. I know it's it's going to be on ESPN, the main ESPN, and, and I'm looking at 8 o'clock games. There's, Iowa State at Baylor's a good game, but it's not the magnitude of Tennessee-Kentucky. Duke-Carolina plays at 630 That'll be Billis, right? They'll yeah, put Billis. I would think Shulman and Billis go there. Then it just makes me wonder who gets the call then for Tennessee. This t- is Tennessee Kentucky a better game than Houston at Kansas on Saturday, <laughs> four o'clock on ESPN? Is that better? Yes. You think so? I think so. I don't think Kansas is playing great ball right now, and I think just the brand of basketball like we're talking about with Houston, like it's not the most entertaining product. I think Tennessee and Kentucky is going to be fireworks. Well, I, I, I'm not saying that it's going to be better. I guess I'm asking if it's more prestigious or yeah. like if ESPN is going to have it higher on the pecking order Maybe. because like Tennessee, Kentucky, it is a top 10 matchup. I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't think unless I'm missing something from the eighties when we're talking five slam and jamma, but like Houston and Kansas, not a rivalry. Yet, I mean, like they're now conference opponents. That that will become the marquee Big Twelve game moving forward, and you know maybe the fact it's the first one makes it special this time. I don't know, but at Kansas, Kansas needs a win. Bill Self, of course, carries a lot of weight. Kansas program has been the premier program in the last three or four years. What time is that game? Like four three, o'clock. Four. Okay. It, it, what's interesting is they've got at least where I'm seeing it. They've got Duke, North Carolina slated at six thirty on ESPN. That doesn't make sense. It must be a six o'clock. If you think about it, it would make sense for them to be going. Well, no, Tennessee's eight thirty. So oh, it's eight thirty. Yeah, Tennessee, Kentucky's eight thirty. So six thirty. You're right. I, I think what they're maybe doing is, I guess, are they giving Houston and Kansas time to spill over at four o'clock, and then just saying like we'll do like a little bit of a pregame show to set the scene and do our Duke and Kansas or Duke and North Carolina. You care about this rivalry, even though you haven't cared about this rivalry in in ten years and. Ever since J.J. Redick and Tyler Hansborough were gone, you haven't really cared about this rivalry because we came all freshmen and we still try to act like it's special because, hey, Tobacco Road and hey, Christian Leitner and Coach K's gone and Roy Williams is gone and you don't really care about Hubert Davis and, and John Shire, but here you go. It's crazy. I mean, I agree with that, by the way. ACC fans will say that's the most important game of the day. There's no question. But So ESPN's got three back-to-back games. All those teams are in the top ten. Yep. That's uh, they're running a big time triple header. Yeah, I would say so. And I think that Kansas Houston game is going to be interesting because for Kansas, it's kind of a kind of a do or die thing. You know, it's maybe overstating it a little bit, but as good as Kansas is, and they're four and three in conference, they they need to win this game. It's in Fog Allen. I mean that that could be that could be a little bit of an ambush for Houston. They're trending to be like a three or four seed is where Kansas is kind yeah. of trending towards. Like they are. A long way away from being a one seed. Right. Can they hold on to a two seed? I don't know. But they're trending towards a three or a four, which in the Bill Self era has kind of been a death nail. Like, he he's, he used to be a choker, right? He used to talk about Kansas losing early in the tournament whenever they'd be around there. He's kind of gotten rid of that reputation. You know, as a one seed and two seed, they kind of just get to the Elite Eight, get to the Final Four. But I, if I'm him, I don't want to get back to those three and 14 matchups. By the way, uh, for the ACC people listening – it's not a rivalry anymore. North Carolina ended that. Like, there's nothing you can do that's ever going to match North Carolina beating Coach K in the Final Four and retiring him, yeah. beating him in his last game at Cameron Indoor, and then ending his career in the Final Four. The rivalry's over. Duke lost. I don't think I ever cheered harder for North Carolina than that time. I don't really cheer for him. That's my point. I was, but I was definitely invested in that game. Wasn't Caleb Love just like unconscious? Yeah. 
that checks crazy out. in that game. Yeah, because yeah, there, there was a something this year that like Caleb Love ended Coach K's career, and then there was a game earlier this season that they beat somebody. Who was it they beat? Like Caleb Love did it again. It was oh, yeah, Arizona, Arizona beat Duke. Arizona. They beat Duke yeah, yeah, and Cameron. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah he, I guess has a knack for doing things like that. But, yeah, the triple header on Saturday is, is obviously huge, and I do wonder if Tennessee ranks second or third in terms of their – the rankings of matchups and like where you get the, the announced team, do you get the third team or the second team? That's what I was thinking. It's like, uh, that'll, that'll tell us a lot. Um, who is the second and third team at ESPN? Cause Bill is still first, right? You know, throw Dickie V at eight 30. We got to listen to it, it, it. But he's not doing he games yeah, right he's, now. Oh, he's not doing games. Yeah. Speak right sorry. Now. No, it's sorry, yeah. Bill is, Bill is, you ever heard shoot. my Dickie V story, Bob? No, go ahead. When people ask about my most famous encounters with celebrities, it's probably Dickie V at the SEC Championship in 2000. Would that been 2019, I guess, against yeah. Auburn? I'm, I had, like, Lexus Lounge passes at, at Bridgestone because uh-huh. the, the person I went with had, you know, corporate seats. And, you know, about 30 minutes before the game, I'm, you know, going to go use the bathroom and everything. And out from out of the stall came Dickie V, sweating, covered in sweat. <laughs> and, Bob, I tell you, that was the most foul-smelling <laughs> – Toilets I used. It was all streaked up inside the bowl. It was ah, stop. It's all right. We're good. Did you give him commentary as he walked yeah. out? I like, said, "Oh, oh it's incredible." Yeah. <laughs> I said, "Oh, baby, you need to put a diaper on, diaper dandy." <laughs> I'm telling you, it was the foulest smell, Bob. And I used to work on the farm and dealt with dead animals all the time. What 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 died inside of Dickie V was worse. <laughs> I can't match that story with anything, man. That's uh, that's rough. He was sweating. He was covered in sweat when he was coming out. <laughs> I never forget. He come out. He was wiping his brow off. He was he was hitting the top of his head. Did he say anything to you? We just no. made eye contact. He he knew not to say anything. He's like that has to be a terrible feeling too. Like being a famous person. Yeah, oh yeah. And knowing somebody's coming in right behind you in the bathroom. That's got it because like he probably. I mean, he doesn't remember. But he probably knew at the time that guy's going to know that, that Dickie V did this to the bathroom, and he's going to tell all of his friends. It's a lot of pressure. I wonder if Jay Williams <laughs> – Jay Williams may be on that Duke-Carolina game too. Instead a, of Billis? No, as a third oh, or okay. something. I could see that um, because ESPN has such love for Duke anyway. I would say I would be surprised if they ran out two Duke guys. That would you'd have people crying about that. You'd have Carolina fans crying about that. Yeah. And they're they're a respected enough program to not get completely thrown to the side. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Jimmy Dykes may be showing up in Knoxville. That might be why he was given so much love. Maybe. Tonight I know it's Tom Hart and, and Dane Bradshaw. It's awesome, baby. The Capital A. <laughs> hour two in the books, hour three coming at you. It's the morning show here on Fan Run Radio.